There are now over half a million mobile apps and counting. Apps that can seemingly take you anywhere and do anything. You might say there's no limit to what these apps can do. But the truth is, life isn't always that easy. For everything your device can't do, try this. No matter what you're looking for, God has an app for that. It's really true. God does have an app for us about worry. And we're going to dig in today. So would you grab your Bible and a pen and your outline you got when you came in the door? I just want to tell you first about a couple in our church that is so precious to me. Their names are John and Sandy, and they have walked through some dark days, some deep waters, and they met this challenging time with amazing courage and faith and perseverance and tenacity. But even more than that, we all got to see how God came through for them and for all of us. So we were really grateful when they allowed our video team to go into their home and just shoot a little video of Sandy telling her story. Would you watch this with us? years ago, while I was having lunch with a friend, my world turned upside down. A blood vessel in my brain broke, flooding both sides, causing significant brain injury. During the next eight weeks, I was in five hospitals. I needed four brain surgeries, a tracheotomy, a feeding tube, and more. I was in a coma for almost a month, and when I came out of that coma, I was completely paralyzed on both sides. Initially, doctors had told my husband, John, that I probably wouldn't live. Now, they suggested he find me a room in a convalescent home because that was probably as far as I would go. I would probably never get to a point where I could live at home again. John disagreed. We went home. I had a little bit of motion movement in my right arm and right leg, but it was very weak. So we used a lift to get me from one place to another. And at night, we had to get up every 45 minutes to move, to reposition me. And all of this through tremendous pain. I also had to relearn a lot of simple things. How to roll over in bed, how to sit in a chair, how to stand up, to walk, how to write, but it all helped me appreciate the amazing complexity of the human body. As David says in Psalms, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. People from the church, many that we knew and some that we had never even met, rallied around our family and helped us for months and lots of people prayed for us. I had an incredible, devoted husband at my side. 
always encouraging me to work towards recovery. And together the two of us worked really, really hard. I still do a daily physical therapy routine, and I will as long as I live, because I want to keep everything we worked so hard to get back. If a person is honest, he has to ask, where was God in all of this? Why does he even allow difficult circumstances to happen? Everything changed. Everything except God. About a year after my stroke, I found some papers where John had written down some of his thoughts while I was in a coma. He had included a list of many of the aspects of God's character and of the promises God makes to all of us. And he had scripture to back it all up. I think basically he was saying to God, I don't know if Sandy's going to live. And if she does, what life will be like for her? But these are the things I know to be true and absolutely unchanging about you, God. God is a redeemer. He helps us face difficult circumstances and he redeems rotten ones. He uses tough times for our good and for the good of others. Somehow what Paul says is true. All things really do work together for good for those who love God. I'm often asked if I have any residual effects. I take that as a compliment, but yes, I do, and I always will. In a weird way, I'm glad, because I don't ever want to forget how bad off I was and how far God has brought me. I'm walking a road that's still difficult sometimes, but I'm walking, and I know I'm not walking alone, and I understand the lives we live are short but we're walking towards our eternal home. That's where we're headed. Wow. You know, I just love her line when she says, God helps us face difficult circumstances and he redeems rotten ones. I just love that. You know, we felt like John and Sandy's story would help us today as we take a look at worry, because not many of us have to face something as sudden and as threatening as a stroke, but we all have to face things that are just hard, things that are be beyond our real control. We would love to have control, wouldn't we? But the reality is, like Sandy's situation points out, that control is not really in our grasp. I am not in control. In fact, would you just say that out loud with me right now? I am not in control of anything. Can you guarantee that your body will stay healthy? No, you can eat right, you can exercise, you can see your doctor, but you know, ultimately, the clock is ticking. Have you noticed that? Have you looked in the mirror lately? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and you know, I wonder, can you guarantee you know where our economy is going uh, you can work hard you can save but ultimately the economy is way beyond human power okay here's one can you make your spouse change maybe there's a little confusion about this question but the the correct answer would be no you cannot make your spouse change 
You know, God can change your spouse. That, that's good news, isn't it? God can change your spouse's spouse. You have to think about that one, don't you? Yeah. But we like to control everything, wouldn't we? A friend told me last week, I'm a control freak, and I've always believed that's my spiritual gift. <laughs> but our desire for control is a big part of today's topic, the problem of worry. You know, I have one friend who says that whenever he gets on an airplane, he feels so out of control that just a little bit of turbulence will automatically send him into, well, it's been a nice life, here we go. And somebody said to him, don't worry, you won't go until it's your time. But my friend said, yeah, but what if it's the pilot's time? <laughs> A natural born worrier. You know, some of us, though, feel like worry is our job, don't we? One gal got an email from her friend who said, start worrying now, I'll fill you in on the details later. <laughs> that kind of works, huh? Well, I have a friend who told me that my family used to say about me, you know, none of us need to worry because Jane doesn't have worrying for all of us. My dad used to say to my mom and me that his favorite cartoon was one where an old guy got up out of his recliner and he stretched and he said to his wife, well, honey, I'm going to go head off for bed. And she says, you go ahead, dear. I'm going to sit up and worry a while. And you know, my dad said, that's you girls. You know, he's right. My job has felt like worry. It's just my role. I, you know, I've tried to stop worrying. It hasn't worked. I've memorized scripture. I've read books. I've been to therapy. All good stuff. But I'm telling you, nothing has given me as useful of a tool as what we're about to unpack today out of Jesus' words in Matthew 6. You see, I got a lot of help over the last few weeks from Pastor Andy Stanley, and I've used my body and my life as a laboratory, okay? And I have noticed something. Life keeps dishing out opportunities for me to practice what I'm learning. Have you noticed that? It is critical for you and me to get a handle on this. So the reason is this. Worry is a waste of time. And that means it's a waste of life. That's the first thing you might want to write down. You see, when you run out of time, you run out of life. The word worry comes from an old German word, vergen, which means to strangle or choke. So right now, I just want you to turn to your neighbor, just real quick, you know, and put your hands on their neck and gently begin to squeeze until they start to turn red. No, not really. But you know what I'm trying to get at. What worry does to you, it squeezes the life out of you. And Jesus said, I came to give you a rich and satisfying life. And that's why when he was sitting on a hillside about 2,000 years ago, and he was talking to a bunch of people about how to do life, I think he kind of scratched his head and looked at those people and said, you guys look worried. You don't have to live like this. There's an app for this worry thing. So right now, I'm going to give you the bottom line of what Jesus said, just in case you have to leave early or something, okay? This is kind of what he said. The thing you worry about the most is the thing that you're most devoted to. Now, I know we have some grammar police in the room, and you're worried about that dangling preposition right there. But I'm going to say that again, okay? The thing you worry about the most 
is the thing you are most devoted to. See, we don't think of worry that way because we try to deal with it on a purely emotional basis. But Jesus is brilliant. So he's given us the bottom line. Let me illustrate it this way. I know you don't want to hear this from your pastor's wife. Don't tell anybody, but I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? I never worry about your job. I don't because I'm not devoted to your job. You know, if you were to, to tell me, Kim, I, I'm, I'm struggling in my work, you know, I, I, I would be concerned. I'd pray for you and I'd listen. But do I lose sleep over your job? No, because I've never devoted myself to your job. Here's another confession. I never, ever worry about your kids' grades. <laughs> ever. Because I'm not devoted to your kids' grades. I mean, you know, if you, you emailed me and you said, Kim, my son's failing in the eighth grade, you know, I, I'd be concerned, I'd listen, but I don't sit home and wring my hands over your kids' grades because I've never devoted myself to your kids' educational success. See, my worry is tied to the thing that I am most devoted to. Now, here's a question. What if, what if we shifted our devotion? What would happen to our worry? Well, Jesus knows what would happen to our worry because, see, he knows that your devotion is tied to your emotion. He's just brilliant. So Jesus starts his whole discussion about worry right here, and he's talking about money. You know, it, it makes sense for us, too, because it, over 70% of Americans say that their number one worry it has to do with finances. So Jesus says this in verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be, what's that word? Devoted. Circle that word. It's going to keep coming up. Devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now that word money, it just means your stuff. Jesus says you can't serve God and your stuff. He says you get to choose. Are you going to be fully devoted to God or to your stuff? He's saying there's a tension. At some point, you're going to have to opt for either your God values or your stuff values. You can't have both things number one in your life. So Jesus starts his whole talk on worry with this principle. And then he connects it to what he says next. In verse 25, therefore, now when you see the word therefore in the Bible, it's always connecting two things. First, Jesus set up that there's this tension about who's going to be boss in your life. And then he says, next, therefore, I tell you, it's a command. Do not worry about your life. Well, that's pretty general. What do you mean, Jesus, about my life? Well, he means... Don't worry about what you worry about, you know, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. See, that's what his audience worried about every day. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? See, these people were consumed by the daily struggle of trying to eke out a hand-to-mouth existence. Jesus is saying, now look, I don't want you to worry about that. And if he, if he was here talking to us, I think he'd say something a little different. To you, he might say, I don't want you to worry about when you're going to retire. 
Don't worry about your wayward son or daughter. Don't worry about whether you're going to be single the rest of your life. Don't worry about your, your health. Now, this is Jesus. Don't email me. I, I know. I would never say this to you. But Jesus said to this general audience, don't worry about your life. You might squirm and say, Jesus, are you saying it's not important? You know, food and clothes and my marriage and my future? No. Jesus is not saying that it doesn't matter. He's saying what you're concerned about is important and there's uncertainty related to all these things. And sometimes it's not going to all turn out fine and perfect, but you still don't have to worry about it. He said that there is a way to have uncertainty about tomorrow and not have to worry about it today. He says when it comes to your life, stop worrying. And then he asks this really hard question. In verse 25, he says, Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? See, he's trying to pull us out of our hyper-focus. Oh my goodness, what are we going to feed our family? Where are we going to live? Am I ever going to be healthy enough to do what I used to do? He said, just for a minute, let me ask you, isn't life more than all that? Is that one thing that you're so concerned about? Is that your whole life? He says, I'm just trying to help you with worry. just want you to pull back for a minute. And then he says something so insensitive. He gestures to the birds right there, and he says, look at the birds of the air. And you say, what? I don't have time to look at birds. I have mouths to feed. I have mortgage to pay. You know what? I don't have time to look at birds. I have to work on my 401k. I don't have time to, to look at the birds. My husband says he's not coming back. I don't have time to look at the birds. I've got kids to get to soccer practice. Look at the birds of the air. Jesus, are you kidding and I think he would say to us, are you finished? I'm trying to help you here. I think he would say, look at the birds of the air. They don't have a 401k. They don't put helmets on their kids' heads and training wheels on their bikes and walk them around and hold them their hand. No, the birds, they look for the tallest tree they can find and they build their nest and then they push their kids out. Bye-bye. <laughs> Have a good life. How's that for a parenting model? <laughs> he says, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He's saying, look, they don't even worry about it. They don't even think about it, and your Father just feeds them. Some people have used this passage, though, to say, you know, Jesus says not to worry. So even though I'm failing my algebra class, you know, I'm not going to worry. <sighs> or, you know, Jesus says not to worry. So even though my marriage is falling apart and my spouse wants me to go to counseling, you know, I'm just not going to worry. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. You see, don't worry doesn't mean don't care. Turn your outline over and you might write that down. Don't worry doesn't mean don't care. Jesus is saying you do what you can do in the now. You know, don't worry doesn't mean 
you get a latte and a surfboard and you just chill. You go ahead and you study for that exam. You go ahead and you fill out that job application. You go ahead and you pursue that dating relationship. You go ahead and you put that for sale sign out in the yard. But after you have done what you can do in the now for, for this day, you turn over to him the next series of nows. You don't have to be a pile of anxiety over the stuff you can't control. You know, this is one of the things I admired the most about John and Sandy as they walked through Sandy's health crisis. They did what they could do in the day. They did not have a single guarantee. They had little to no control over the outcome, and yet they did what they could do. They worked hard, like Sandy still works hard. And then they gave to God the outcome. And then Jesus goes on to say more about birds. He says, are you not much more valuable than they? Circle much more valuable. You know, in our culture, this question might just start a fight. Jesus asks, who's more valuable, you or the birds? Some of you are not sure. <laughs> now, let's think about it. A human being or a bird, which is more valuable? Let's think back to Genesis, when God made the earth and all the animals, you know, and then he made a man and a woman. And he looks at them and he says, hey, this one, this one's special. When I look at this one, I think of me. He never said that about a bird. And when he sent a savior to this world, he didn't send a goat or an eagle or even a lion. He sent himself in the form of a human being who could relate to everything you think and you feel. So I'm going to ask you again, and this time I want you to answer. Are you more valuable to God than a bird? Today, maybe you need to go out and have a bird moment. You need to look at a bird and think about how valuable you are to God and that he's going to take care of you. And then Jesus talks about wildflowers that nobody plants. There is nothing wrong with laboring or spinning, but they don't do it. And even the best-dressed human beings are nothing in comparison to them. Where does their beauty come from? It comes from God. And Jesus says, if God takes care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field that are here today and gone tomorrow, then he will take care of you. You know, sometimes people actually believe Jesus and enter into this kind of life. I have a friend who got to go to Honduras with Compassion International. And while they were there, they were working with people that were completely destitute. And they talked to a man in this village where these children are, and they asked this man how they could pray for him. And you know what his response was? He said, you know, actually, I feel sorry for you. And my friend and, and her team, they asked, well, what do you mean? And he said, you people, you have God and your money, and we just have God. And our needs are completely met. You've known people like this before, maybe. Have you ever met somebody who is going through one loss after another? It just seems like their whole life is falling apart. And yet they have peace. They don't, everything's not exactly fine, but they're not stewing in worry. And you might walk away and you might think to yourself, I don't know how they're doing that. If that happened to me, I don't know what I'd do. Well, you just met someone 
who is trusting God to care for them. If God takes care of the flowers, Jesus said, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You know, Jesus made up a word right here. My son likes to make up words. This is fascinating to me. People who understand the original Greek language help me with this one. Jesus took two words that didn't go together, little and faith, and he put them together and made a compound word. And I think right here he's got a twinkle in his eye and he's kind of ribbing them and he's going, you're a little faither. (laughs) You know, he called them that. I think he was smiling and teasing them. You're a little faither. You know, I think he's saying, what do you really believe? I mean, what did you teach your kids? Who made the birds? Well, God did. Well, do you believe that? Yeah, yeah, we do. Well, who made all this beauty around you? Well, God did. Well, do you believe that? Yeah, yeah, we do. Okay, let me see here. Um, God made the bird and all this beauty, and then, you know, he, he keeps it all going, you know, the circle of life, that whole Lion King thing, and, and yet you don't think that God is going to take care of you? You're a little faither. (laughs) And then he goes on to say, for the pagans run after these things. You might ask, well, what's a pagan? Well, this is Jesus' word, and it means a person who doesn't believe there is a God. You see, worry is practical atheism. It's like Lindsay was talking about. You say you believe in God. Oh, yeah, he's a good God. But then life happens, you know? And as you begin to worry, you're a practical atheist. Jesus says the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. I want you to imagine if you were going to bed tonight after you've done everything you can do in this day, You know, you've met with the realtor. You've talked to your doctor. You've had the hard conversation with your employer. Now imagine you're getting in bed. Now I know this is weird. Just go with me, okay? And God sends an angel to stand beside your bed. And he says two simple words to you. He knows. Would that make a difference? Just knowing that your father is aware of your need That's what Jesus is saying here. God knows what you're needing. Well, great, you say, Kim, I I hear you, you know, but how do I stop worrying? You know, how do I break this habit? I feel like I'm stuck. Well, you know, speaking of birds, I came across a cartoon this week that I could relate to. Birds on a wire, you're overthinking this, Phil. (laughs) That could be me. Because I get stuck in worry because I overthink everything. But Jesus doesn't want you to be paralyzed in worry. He doesn't want you to overthink this because right here, he gives you the app. Finally, drum roll, you know? I mean, so far, he's told us that we're no smarter than birds, that we don't have the faith of flowers. He's called us little faithers. He says we're acting like pagans, and now he tells us the solution. And I want you to see how simple and how clearly he begins this. But seek, what is this word? First. Let's just stop right there. You see, this is the reason why we worry. Jesus is talking about what we're seeking first. What is my number one devotion? You remember what he started with? You can't be devoted to two things. This is the app. 
What's it going to be? Are you going to be devoted to your job and your marriage and your kids and your future and your finances and the closing of the house? Or are you going to be devoted to him? Your devotion impacts your emotion. Jesus knows that. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So this is the app. Write this down. Jesus app for worry. Shift my devotion to God. Redirect it. It simplifies your life when you put God first. Then you don't have to worry about pleasing everybody else. You just center in on pleasing God. It will always be the right thing to do. You know, when Mother Teresa was still alive, a book was written about her that was so denigrating. It had a disgusting title. It angered those who loved her and worked with her. And then there was this article that was written about the book, and it was circulated around the world. And the people that were serving alongside Mother Teresa didn't know what to even do. If they should even tell her about the article. And finally, they said, Mother Teresa, there's this article. She says, bring me the article. And she read it, and she said, well... We've accepted all the good things. We have to accept this too. It didn't make her miserable. That comes from having a heart that's devoted to making his kingdom first. You know, suddenly her devotion could have been to clear her name. But it didn't even faze her. You see, seeking first the kingdom of God, it keeps the claws of worry off your heart. Anytime I begin to worry, a little light ought to go off on the dashboard of my life, a little red light to say something else besides the Lord is my number one devotion right now. This idea is the same as our Lord's prayer challenge, the five Ps. This is priority when Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. That means in my situation, on my turf, For you, it might be to say, God, I really think the right thing to have happen would be for my house to sell. Or God, for me to get that job. Or Lord, for my wayward son or daughter to come back and fly right. But God, I'm not in charge. You are. So I'm going to shift my devotion to your reign. Or maybe for you, it's God, I'm only making a fraction of what I used to make, but I'm going to let my finances show my devotion to you, and I'm still going to tithe. I have a friend, I have two friends, that are facing a very serious prognosis from the doctor, and because they are saying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, they have peace. You see, what it is, is giving up control and prying your fingers off of the throne and stepping down and letting him be king. And when you do that, something just happens to your worry. I've seen it a thousand times. And it can't be explained because nothing's different about your situation. It's just what's going on in your heart. But now, with your devotion, your agenda no longer being that number one devotion, now it's God's agenda. You see, you can breathe. And that anxiety doesn't rule you anymore. And here's the surprise ending. Jesus said, and all these things, what things? All that you've been worried about. All these things will be given to you as well. You say, all these things? Well, yeah, because you're more valuable than a bird. And if God 
takes care of the birds and the flowers, and then he looks at you and invites you to call him Father, then of course he's going to take care of you. There's something I want you to do this week. I could ask you to write down your worry and say, God, I'm giving this to you, but you know what? I think that would be short-lived. It's taken a lifetime for us to grow this worry habit. It's going to take some intentional thought. So this week, I want to ask you to write down the things in your life. Start with what you worry about. Just list them all. You know, your family, your spouse, your kids, your job, your future, the closing on the house. Just write it all down because you see, this is life. This is that that Jesus talked about when he said, is life not more than? Is life not more than a job? Is life not more than what people think of you? Yeah. Just write it all down. Maybe a sentence, maybe a word, whatever you want to do. And then read through the passage again. And then I want to invite you to pray and say, God, I know what happens when I hold this like this. I worry. And I see what that has done to my health and to my relationships and to my thinking. So God, I'm going to shift my devotion. It's still important, all this, but I want you to teach me what it means to seek your kingdom first. You are more important to me than all of this. You know what I want, God, but your will be done. This is just surrender. That's a step of faith. That's where the action is. When you say, Jesus, I'm shifting my devotion from my agenda to you and yours. When you say, I'm trusting you with what defines life for me. When you let go like that, Jesus promises that your father has a hold of you. As Lindsay and our band is going to come now and they're going to share a song with us, I'd like to wrap up by telling you a story that John Ortberg tells about a trip that he took years ago with his wife and his two little girls, Lara and Mallory. As they were traveling, they went to a motel that had a swimming pool. And he left his wife behind in the room, and he took his little girls, and they were taking turns, jumping off the side of the pool into his arms. Now, he and his wife had told their little girls about being careful and about the danger of drowning. And so here they were at the pool, and Laura was jumping into his arms, but Mallory accidentally slipped from the side into the water. She was under for less than a second. But when she came up, she was sobbing. And she said, I drowned, I drowned, I drowned. <laughs> and, you know, for her, that was terrifying. But for John, it was kind of cute. He said, honey, no, you didn't. I was here the whole time. You were safe. Your daddy had you the whole time. See, John knew what she didn't know, that she was never in danger, that her father had her the whole time. And that's what Jesus saw that day when he looked at those people on the hillside. And that's what he sees today as he looks at you. Your father has you. You know, I want to believe that, the way he believes it. I want to. I don't yet, but I want to believe. No loss in this life, no matter what it is, is worth worrying about because your father has a hold of you. You might feel like Mallory dipping in the pool 
as life's challenges get really deep. You might come up crying, I drowned, I drowned. But then your father's going to look at you and say, I had you the whole time. Jesus wrapped up his words on that hillside that day with this, this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus was saying, live just one day at a time. Many of us have learned the wisdom of that statement. And lots of us might think that it, it started as a motto in some recovery room. But you know, Jesus is the one who said that 2,000 years ago. Can you hear his love for you in his teaching about worry? Starting today, do not worry about tomorrow. You know, I am grateful for the recovery program because they've helped me in so many ways, many of us, to embrace things that have changed our lives. One of those things is the serenity prayer. You know that prayer? I love it because it's helped not just alcoholics, but all of us who are ready to let go and trust God and say, your will be done. So I would like to ask right now, would you say this prayer out loud with me? Let's say it together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. And you might want to say to the Lord, God, today I want to ask that you would reveal to me clearly what I have been devoted to. Help me, Lord, to move beyond just saying I believe in you. Help me today, for this day, to live my faith in you. I want to shift my devotion, God, away from me and my agenda to you, to your agenda for me. And I know that that thing that I've been holding onto with white knuckles, as though it is life for me, that you're going to take care of it, God. Thank you that you will help me with this anxiety, that you will replace it with your comfort. Lord, that you will replace this anxiety with hope-filled expectation of your care for me. I thank you for your love, O oh God, and how you steady my heart. In the strong and loving name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.